So last week, um, Patrick, our senior pastor, who's away on vacation, by the way, he needs some vacation. Um, and so I have the honor to, to, to preach today. My name's Andrew, if we haven't met. Um, but last week, uh, Patrick quoted from a recent uh, article in the New York Times um, about this sort of ubiquitous blah that many of us may have felt uh, the last 15 months. Uh, and he described this blah that many of us have felt as languishing, languishing. And I think it's worth repeating again today. Uh, the author Adam Grant said this, Languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield. And it might be the dominant emotion of 2021. And uh, I googled the word uh, languishing in Google Images, and uh, this was one of the first things that popped up. Um, I don't know if it's up there. You see it up there? It's all right. There it is. So maybe you feel a little bit like this guy on the, uh, on the, the park bench lately. And honestly, as a pastor, uh, I'm not immune to this. If anything, um, I have been languishing a lot this year too, feeling joyless, feeling aimless at times, just asking myself, scratching my head and saying, what is happening? What is going on in our world? This is so much to take in. So how do we evade this sort of joylessness, aimlessness uh, that has kind of become the status quo, if you will. Uh, like Patrick shared last week, our way out of languishing comes not from doing nothing, but by way of discipleship, what he called apprenticeship with Jesus, learning to walk in the way of Jesus Christ. And this is what we as your pastors, since we should focus in on this summer, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to walk with Jesus in the midst of and after a year like we've had? What does that mean? How do we do it? Where do we go from here? In the book of Psalms, there's a collection of 15 songs called the Songs of Ascent. They're uh, Psalms 120 through Psalm 134. And these songs were sung by the Jewish faithful, uh, as they pilgrimaged from wherever they lived in Israel up to Jerusalem, up to the temple for three annual feasts. So every year, everyone in Israel would pilgrimage. They would walk all the way up to the temple to worship together. And they would sing this collection of songs along the way. They would come from miles around, in every direction. And because Jerusalem was the highest point in Palestine, whichever direction you came from, you always went up. It was an ascent. And this ascent was both literal and metaphorical. It was directing the pilgrims to live upward. These songs direct us to live upward towards God. And these songs are shot through with joyful praise and also honest cries of lament. You'll hear um, longing, a deep hunger for unity amongst God's people, and a, and a rich desire for the presence of God 
So these lyrics aimed up at, at him have been on the lips of God's people for three millennia. And yes, even languishing people as well. And this is why, again, we're spending all of our summer months in this ancient guide to our sojourn with God. And before we get into uh, today's psalm, the first song of Ascent, I want to give credit where it's due and uh, recommend an amazing book to you all. Um, You may have heard Patrick reference it before. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. And this book, personally for me, has meant maybe more than most books for my own sojourn with Jesus. So I just want to recommend that to you. It's on our website under our resource Uh, on our sermon resource doc if you're interested in that. But it's fantastic, and he's really helped me understand these songs um, and and will be a resource for for us as as we go through them this summer. So today we're going to hear the first of these songs of ascent. And our uphill journey together with God begins with repentance, a no that is a yes. And we'll explore it in two movements. First, what we're saying no to, and then what we're saying yes to on our journey together with God. With that said, uh, please stand just as a sign, an embodied sign of respect for the word of the Lord for the scripture reading today. Our central text for today is found in Psalm 120. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals from the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling place among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This is the word of the Lord. Speed of God. You may be seated. So this journey of discipleship, this sojourn with God, begins by saying no to something. Um, you may remember when people used to listen to albums all the way through. Do you remember those days? I know, it feels like a million years ago. Um, typically, the first song on an album would be there to sort of hook you in to listen to the rest of the songs, Right? And Psalm 120, most likely written by King David, um, is not by any stretch the most beautiful song in the album, if you will. Um, Lyrics of distress and cries for deliverance and warfare. So why start with this song? The first verse um, of the song is the key to understanding the rest of the passage. And why the psalmist is distressed helps us to understand why they would sing this song first on their journey up to Jerusalem. And verses 2 and 3 tell us why he's in distress. Lying lips, deceitful tongues. So we're not told the exact context, and part of the reason is because these songs are intended to be sung by people in various contexts. So we're not told the exact situation for which he is being verbally attacked. But he is. He's experiencing that gossip, slander, and he's in distress. That's clear enough, but there's more behind his distress. Look at verse 5. It says, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. 
And then he says, he dwells among those who hate peace at the end of the song. And this usage of the word woe um, was used often in funeral processions. So it had this kind of sense of deep sadness. So why is he throwing so much shade on Meshach and Kadar? Like, why is he, why is he so upset? He's essentially saying, I may as well be dead that I journey there. So what's he saying here? Why, why that kind of language? So Meshach and Kedar were nomadic, barbaric tribes. Um, Meshach was, if you imagine the United States, I'll try to do it for your vantage point. Uh, Seattle is, in, is Meshach and Kedar is Miami. Okay, this is really weird to do it this way. Um, but it's, you know, they're at extreme opposite ends. Um, and Meshach was thousands of miles away from um, Palestine um, in modern-day Russia, and Qadar, again, on the southeast uh, border. Um, but these were, again, very barbaric tribes, very violent, extremely violent. And I want you to notice that the pilgrim wasn't actually in those places, but he felt as though he was. He felt very far from home, as it were. And wherever he was, it wasn't safe, right? He wants peace, but they want war. So the psalmist was experiencing the pain of deceit, of gossip perhaps, while also um, experiencing this deep sadness and homesickness for God. Homesickness for God in a world full of violence. In a violent world, he's homesick for God. So he's disillusioned with the world around him, and so he cries out to God in distress. Eugene Peterson he writes this, such dissatisfaction with the world as it is, is preparation for traveling in the way of Christian discipleship. This dissatisfaction coupled with longing for peace and truth can set us on a pilgrim path to wholeness in God. A person has to get fed up with the ways of the world before he, before she, acquires an appetite for the world of grace. So in our hyper-connected world, uh, distressing things are the internet. The zeros and ones are like all hard things, it seems like. Every day, I think we're, we're just kind of bombarded with this feeling of maybe even paralysis by it all. That's what that Hebrew word distress means, confined, paralyzed, stuck, overwhelmed. You know, many of us can feel paralyzed by the sort of bitterness and anger, malice, deceit out there in the world, sort of depersonalized. But I think we can also maybe even more acutely feel the anger and bitterness within our own families. The lying, the deceit that you've potentially experienced in your own home. And what's the aggregate effect of Things far away being hard and broken, but also things close. Languishing, or worse. Languishing, again, joylessness, aimlessness. But what do we do? What, what should we do with these distressing feelings, if you're feeling those things today? Um, are you familiar with the term uh, doom scrolling? You take your phone, and uh, you essentially 
fall into emotional quicksand while binging on doom and gloom news? You don't have to raise your hand, but uh, I think many of us have experienced something like that the last year and a half. You know, it's such a common occurrence that they had to invent this new internet lingo, doom scrolling. It just, it happens, it's happened so much, especially during the pandemic. And binging on bad news can actually make us languish all the more. And even depressive. But the psalmist, he gives us a different way to handle our distress. Let's read verse 1 again. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. And so the psalmist is heard, uh, and then he's answered by God in his cry of deliverance. But then in verse 4, he switches from speaking to God, and he, and he begins speaking to those who are um, deceiving them, deceiving, you know, deceivers and the liars. He, he switches from speaking to God, and he speaks to them. And he asks them to consider the judgment that God has in store for them. And the punishment he lists will come in the form of a warrior's sharp arrows and the glowing coals of a broom tree. So the broom tree, um, or the bush, it grows in the Middle East, even today, and its roots can be burned like charcoal. And so you can imagine that the pilgrim is looking at the destruction of the world, the, the disunity, the disintegration, and he's calling for deliverance upon the only one who can actually mete out his perfect justice. He's calling for justice. He's asking God to bring healing and justice to a broken and unjust world. So Psalm 120 is the first song of the sojourn because our journey with God begins with repentance, a no to the world, which is a yes to the ways of God. As Peterson says again, repentance is not an emotion. It is a decision, a realization that what God wants from you and what you want from God are not going to be achieved by doing the same old things and thinking the same old thoughts. Repentance is a decision to follow Jesus Christ and become his pilgrim on the path peace. In other words, what he's saying is that we don't have to be stuck in the state of paralysis or disillusionment or dismay as we try to move through the world with him. And so the question I want to answer now is how do we follow Jesus on this path upward toward him in 2021, this path of peace? And that's my final point. The Christian pilgrim says yes with their whole selves. We say yes with our whole selves to the ways of God. I want to point out something very easy to miss when we read, uh, especially the Songs of Ascent, or, or really the Psalms in general. The sojourners that would have sung these songs on the way up to Jerusalem, they sang these words while actually journeying to Jerusalem. They sang about journeying while actually journeying. You're like, I know, that's, that's pretty obvious. They would walk and sing. They were going someplace and sing about it. 
Um, you may remember when maps used to live in your car. Do you remember those days? I'm talking about, I'm, I'm getting nostalgic today. Albums, maps, like, who's this guy up here? So you may have a map, but I mean, honestly, have you used it in years? I don't know. Um, long before we had, you know, smartphones and GPS, we used to have these big, huge maps in our car, right? And it would have every state detailed, perfectly drawn out. And if, if I went into Greg's car and if he had a map in there, I could see some, I, I know there'd be highlighters in there, getting him to Tennessee or Florida, I don't know, wherever you're going, man. But it would be detailed. He would know exactly where he's going, have it all mapped out. We, and we, we could get places back then by carefully studying the way. And in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this in chapter 7 of Matthew. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Enter by the narrow gate. Uh, one New Testament scholar helped me understand something that I, I missed uh, kind of growing up, that Jesus' use of the word narrow here is not so much about who's in and who's out of the kingdom. There's other places in the scriptures that talk about that more specifically. But this use of the word narrow is talking about a specific path to walk, a specific way to live. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's not the broad way. The broad way which is to do whatever you like. It's not the path of least resistance. And it's certainly not following your heart on every whim. That's the way of the world, right? Follow your heart. You do you. That's the broad way that leads to destruction. But the narrow way is, as Dallard Willard said famously, living life as if Jesus were you. Living life as if Jesus were you. That's following the narrow way. That's the specific narrow path that leads to life. Living like Jesus. And the Sermon on the Mount is a map to live in that narrow way that leads to life. He's given us a map to live in the way of forgiveness and generosity of unity and love as members of his kingdom of peace. Okay, but okay, right? Life is hard right now. Many of you are languishing. Many of you can barely get through a day with much love in your heart, let alone following him and loving him more than anything. By the way, as a pastor, I can relate to that. Following Jesus is not easy, especially in 2021. So where's the fuel that we need for this uphill climb with Jesus? How do we find it? Where do we access it? Seems like there's a fuel shortage, uh, not just around here, but even in our own discipleship journey. I think many of us feel like we're in survival mode lately. Um, and so again, this can feel impossible. Maybe you're looking at this narrow path and you're just 
saying, I, I can't, I can hardly walk. I'm just laying down in my faith right now. The world is too much for me. My life is too much for me. I think maybe now more than ever, as 21st century Christians, many of you would describe yourself that way. Some of you don't. By the way, you're welcome to keep, continue to come. We love that you're here. We want you to continue to explore the person of Jesus in our family called Grace. So keep coming. But for those of you who would call yourself disciples of Jesus, maybe more than ever, you need to let Jesus deconstruct the lie that he would ask you to do anything that he was not willing to do himself. We need to deconstruct that lie that he's asking us to do something that he hasn't already done for us. You see, Jesus would have participated in these annual ascents to Jerusalem growing up. In Nazareth, he would have taken that pilgrimage to Jerusalem himself. And he would have sung these songs of ascent written a thousand years before he walked the earth. He would have sung these songs along the way too. And what did that obedient ascent to worship in Jerusalem year after year do to him? His lifestyle of obedience formed him in such a way that he could climb another hill called Golgotha. His obedience to the Father year after year formed him so that he could climb the hill that led to our salvation. You see, on the cross, Jesus took the full weight of the glowing coals and the sharp arrows of God's judgment on our sin. And on that hill, he died not only for the sins of those who lie and, and deceive us, but also for our own lies and deceit. The Prince of Peace died for the wars that wage between us in the church, not just out in the world. Jesus was rejected so we could be accepted. His cry of distress wasn't heard so ours could always be heard. The fuel to take up our cross and follow him is that he took up his for us. But I want to say this. As important as the cross is to our salvation, the resurrection is just as important. We just spent three or four months thinking about the resurrection, the power of Easter. We need the cross and the empty tomb for our salvation and our discipleship. If Jesus didn't die on the cross, we would still be in our sins. But if Jesus didn't raise, rise from the dead, we would have no power to say no to our internal desires for self. We would have no power to say no to the ways of the world and to say yes to the ways of Jesus. Without the cross and the resurrection, we couldn't be saved, nor could we follow him. But guess what? That's the good news. He died for you, and he rose for you. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote about discipleship in Philippians 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus makes you his own. How personal is that? He makes you. If you're languishing today, he makes you his own. If you're depressed today, he makes you his own. If you're numb today, he made you his own. And this is why we can follow the upward call of God in Christ. Jesus sang the song and walked the upward call first for you. Not so you don't have to, but so that you can. He's with you. He loves you. He sent his spirit so that we can become the temple of God himself. We don't have to go to the temple. He lives in us. God lives in us. So as we move through the world, we move through the world with him, representing him and the power of his love and grace, extending it to a world that is dying for his love, dying for unity, dying for justice, dying for compassion, literally, not just spiritually, both. And we have this God in us when we place our faith in Jesus, when we turn from our sin and say yes to Jesus. That's who comes to live in us. That's who fuels us every day to walk with him, to follow him. I want to close with just a couple, or just a few um, things that are sort of street level um, that we can sort of live out the words of the song together this week. The first thing, in your distress, whatever's distressing you this week, because many things will, guaranteed, many things will distress you. In your distress, cry out to Jesus. Cry out to him. When you're feeling overwhelmed by life in this fallen world, cry out to him, not to the internet (laughs) or other counterfeit deliverers. Cry out to him. He alone can deliver you, so cry out to Jesus. But you don't have to cry out to him alone, and that's the second thing. Let's journey together not on our own. We're journeying with him together as a a community. He saved a people. He saved us. And so when you're lost or confused, when you're lost, when you're driving and your GPS is broken, I know this is a crazy scenario these days, but let's just pretend your iPhone fell out of the car. You don't have GPS and you don't have that map anymore because we don't use them anymore. So you stop and you ask a local, hey, I don't know how to get to Hendersonville. Just go with me. Can you help me? And you ask Jeff Leader, who's from Hendersonville, lives there. And he goes, let me tell you how to get there. I know the way. I've been there many times. I've walked this road. I've driven this road countless times. Let me tell you. Let's go together. And that leads me to the third thing. Consult the map 
every day. Sometimes we think about the Bible as this like old book that doesn't really have to do much with our modern life. But again, Jesus has given you a map. How gracious is he? How amazing is that? That he not only saved you, but he gave you the map to live like him in this world. So consult the map every day to know how to get where we're going with him. And this is why um, I want to just encourage you this week. To ch- I'm going to challenge you a little bit. Read the Sermon on the Mount this week, Matthew 5 through 7. It's a challenge. It's a map for living in the way of Jesus. And finally, let's sing because he alone deserves it. As a worship leader, I love to hear you all sing, uh, but God, he loves it even more. He loves when you love him. He loves when you take joy in him, when you adore him. Remember, we sing because he's worthy and it delights his heart. Um, Before we sing, I want to just give us some space, just a, a minute or two of quiet, which I know is rare, especially for the parents in the room, to repent. I know that's an old word, but it simply means to turn. To turn away from the ways of the world, the ways of the flesh, and to say yes to Jesus. To turn to him and his way of life. And to prepare us to confess and to turn to him for grace, I want us to read Matthew 16, just a couple verses, and then I'll give you a time of silent confession before we confess together. So let's read this, and then I'm going to give you a time of silence before we pray a prayer of confession. Let's read this. I'll read the part of the leader. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake will find it. Take a moment to confess on your own. Now a time of corporate confession. Let's pray this together. O merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart, mind, and strength, and have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your great mercy, forgive us, renew us, compel us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will, walk in your ways, Find joy in your word through the finished 
work of Christ. Amen. Let's pray together before we sing. Jesus, because of your matchless love, help us to turn from the ways of the world, the ways in which we have sinned against you and others, the ways that we have walked the broad way. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, you have given us everything we need in the gospel and through the power of your spirit to live, to walk this upward call with you. And you've given us your church that we would know that we don't walk it alone. So help us today, Lord, to be enamored by Jesus who walked the hill that led to our salvation and his death and who rose so that we could put to death the ways, the old self and walk in newness of life. Help us to live for you this week to love you, to glorify you, and enjoy you as your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you all for coming to worship today. Uh, We hope to see you again soon. And uh, get ready for some barbecue. Two weeks. All right. Well, receive this good word from 1 Thessalonians before you go. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now go in peace. Have a good week.